Hello, and welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you're new, welcome. And if not, glad to have you back. This podcast will cover true crime, mysteries, urban legends, and all things weird from the Asian continent. If you are into any of the things I mentioned, then you're in the right place. Now let's begin this madness, shall we? Singapore, officially known as the Republic of Singapore. It's a small island country in Southeast Asia. And officially, it is also referred to as the Lion City, or Garden City. The word Singapore comes from the word Singapura, a word derived from Sanskrit, basically meaning Lion City. Singapore is located one degree north of the equator, right under Malaysia. Population as of recent is around 5.7 million. Size wise, Singapore is about 277 square miles, about half the size of Los Angeles. Yes, it is very tiny. Singapore was at one point colonized by the British and by the Japanese, but in the 60s it was briefly part of Malaysia until it was expelled from the Federation due to ideological differences and trust issues. There are four official languages in Singapore, English, Malay, Mandarin, and Tamil. Most Singaporeans are bilingual, speaking English and one other language depending on their roots and culture. Singapore is also known as a global commerce and very international. It has been branded as most technology-ready, top international meeting city, best investment potential, second most competitive country, third largest foreign exchange market and financial center, and many more. This week's episode takes us to Singapore. To be more exact, we will be looking into a specific area called Topayo known as one of the older residential areas in the northern central part of Singapore. We will be looking into a case of false mediums and ritualistic sacrifices. This episode will include crimes committed against children, so if this is difficult for you, please feel free to skip this episode. But come back next week, though. As for the rest of you, let us begin discussing Adrian Lim, and his disgusting crimes. We will begin this case by looking at Adrian Lim, a.k.a. our main perpetrator. Adrian Lim, born in 1942, was the eldest son born to a middle-class family. As a boy, he was known to have problems with his temper. He dropped out of school and found work as an electrician in a company called Red Diffusion a local radio service company. He was eventually promoted to bill collector a few years later. He married his girlfriend in the year 1967, and they had two children. 
It was in 1970 that they purchased their first apartment, a unit located on the seventh floor of Block 12 in Topayo. A few years later, in 1973, Lim began to see himself as a psychic and a medium, eventually quitting his job at Red Diffusion. He had learned and picked up some tricks from a guy he referred to as Uncle Willie. In fact, remember Amatsuraji from the last episode? I'd say the surface resemblance is uncanny. Lim began practicing sorcery and even rented a studio apartment for his new profession. Most of his clients were introduced to him via his new landlord. As you guessed it, most were women. Prostitutes, strippers, and bar girls. With the occasional businessmen or superstitious old men and women. One of his most famous tricks is the needle in the egg trick. What he would do is heat a needle up till it was burning hot, then literally penetrate an egg with the needle until it was completely inside the egg. He'd then try to cover up the tiny hole with white powder. During his sessions, he'd pass an egg to his customer, and after some chanting and whatnot, he'd ask her to break open the egg. Once it was cracked open, they'd find a burned needle inside. Which convinced them that there was, in fact, a mean spirit or a demon following them. I know we think it's probably silly and ridiculous, and how could anyone even believe this? But as someone who is superstitious and believed, it doesn't really seem too far fetched. Although Lim was said to be Catholic at this time, he was constantly worshipping all sorts of gods and deities. With an emphasis on the goddess Kali, the Hindu goddess of time, creation, destruction, and power. Similar to Ahmad Suraji, girls suffering from personal issues also came to him, asking to find love and to become more beautiful. He would tell them that all this could be solved with a simple ritual massage. Hmm. First, Him and his client would strip naked. Then he'd massage her body, including her genital area, with what he called the Siamese sex god idol. Finally, he would proceed to have intercourse with her. Yeah, sounds totally legit. Another one of his famous methods included electroshock therapy, where he had his client sit with their feet in a tub full of water. He'd attach electric wires to their temples and, well, shock them. He claimed that this was a way to cure their headaches, and in other cases, exorcise the evil spirits living inside them. I guess people who might be feeling desperate are more likely to give anything a try, hoping that their problems would be solved with a couple of bucks. According to his doctor, Lim constantly asked for hormone injections in order to, um, up his potency. This role as a medium continued on, and that's when one of his clients, an important person to this case, a bar girl named Tan Mui Chu, visited Lim for help. She eventually began a relationship with him. Tan did not have a good childhood. She was estranged from her parents. Grew up in a juvenile delinquency center, 
and was at the time mourning the death of her grandmother, whom she was close to. Lim pretty much took advantage of her and preyed on her, knowing about her childhood and her recent loss. She eventually moved into his apartment in 1975, with Lim insisting that this was for the sake of her treatment. Lim's wife was obviously not pleased with this arrangement, and once she found out that he was in fact having an affair with Tan, she took the kids and moved out. They officially divorced in 1976, and a year later, Lim and Tan were officially married. This marriage was far from perfect, at least to most of us. He constantly beat her and threatened her physically and emotionally. He forced her to prostitute herself, and he came up with a bunch of ridiculous reasons as to why he had to have sex with other women. Mostly, it was to keep his youth. So she was made to do horrible sex acts, and he was taking all the money. He'd also shower her with gifts from time to time, and this made her feel special and, I guess, happy. Next up, we have Ho Ka Hong. Okay, I know these names are obviously a little odd to you, and her last name is Ho, H-O-E, but that does not mean Ho. It's just a last name, but I will still refer to her as Ho. This girl was also unhappy as a child. She was sent to live with her grandmother when her father died, and once she returned to her mother during her teens, she felt that favoritism toward her older sister was very apparent. So she began to act out. In 1979, her acting out got so out of control that her mother decided to take her to Lim probably thinking her daughter was possessed and needed a good exorcism or something. Lim performed his needle-and-egg trick, and that did it for the mother and daughter. They were immediately convinced that something was wrong with her. I guess Ho really captured Lim's attention, because he decided to make her one of his so-called holy wives. Oh yeah, she was actually married to a man named Benson Lowe, but not like it mattered to Lim. He began finding ways to keep Ho from her family, telling her that her family was evil, and that her husband was no good, and that he would eventually even sell her into prostitution. The girl believed everything she was told, and after three months, she left her family and her husband and moved in with Lim and Tan. Poor Benson Lo. He probably tried to be a supportive husband, and even participated in Ho's shock therapy sessions. In January of 1980, Lim performed an electric shock therapy session on Benson Lowe, which resulted in his death. The trio, Lim, Tan, and Ho, covered it up by telling the police that Benson accidentally electrocuted himself while turning on a faulty fan. Apparently, the police and the coroner couldn't find anything suspicious either, so there were zero follow-ups. You'd think getting rid of Benson would solve Ho's problems, but on the contrary, she began hearing and having hallucinations of her dead husband. She was admitted to the Woodbridge Hospital, where she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She recovered rather quickly under the care of the hospital, and once she was allowed to leave, she returned to Lim and Tan. Okay, 
Now that we have the backstory, let's get down to the real crime. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. The existence of this guy alone is a crime against humanity. What a piece of shit. I know, I know. But trust me, you'll hate him even more after what I'm about to tell you. And you're welcome. Sometime in the late 1980s, Lim was finally accused by a woman named Lucy Lau and was charged with rape. Lau was one of his many victims, slash customers, and after a series of treatments, she realized what he was up to and went to the police. But unfortunately, this was only the beginning of a major nightmare. While Lim was out on bail, he convinced Ho to go to the police and lie to them that she was there when Lucy was receiving her treatments, and that no rape had occurred. With this information, the police were stuck and couldn't really move on with the investigation. To them, it was a case of he said, she said. Lim was furious of being accused of rape. I don't really get why, though. He did drug his clients, and he did force himself on them while they were drowsy and out of it. Did he really think his customers wanted to have intercourse with him? Lim began to plan the ultimate revenge on the police and the people accusing him of rape. He decided to abduct and murder children. He convinced his two accomplices, Tan and Ho, that the goddess Kali needed them to abduct children and sacrifice them. And of course, they believed him. On January 24, 1981, Ho discovered a nine-year-old girl named Agnes Ng near the Church of Risen Christ in the Topayo area. So who was Agnes Ng? She was a girl with eight older siblings. She attended the Holy Innocence Chinese Girls School. She was at the church waiting for her sister. Ho got the girl to go back with her to their apartment and as soon as they arrived, she drugged her. When Agnes passed out, Lim took advantage of her sexually. And this really pisses me off. Taking advantage of a person like this, and especially a child? During this time, they took some of her blood, drank it, and offered it to the goddess Kali. Finally, they took the girl's life by holding her head down in a bucket filled with water. After her death, they stuffed her little body inside a duffel bag and very boldly dumped it in the next block, Block 11. She was discovered the next day by a 25-year-old carpenter who was on his way home. About two weeks later, on February 6, Ho approached the 10-year-old boy, Garzali Marzuki, who was out playing with his two cousins. So, who was Garzali Marzuki? He was a boy attending the Henry Park Primary School. He was visiting his grandmother's house for Chinese New Year. He also had two siblings. Ho asked Garzali to go with her to run some errands, and he agreed to it and got in a taxi with her. Once he arrived, he pretty much received the same exact treatment as little Agnes, minus the sexual assault. He also had burn marks on his back probably from Lim's homemade electroshock therapy. His body was tossed carelessly on a grass patch, just a few meters away from Lim's apartment block. He was found a day later on February 7th. 
Police knew that two dead children in the span of two weeks in the same vicinity was not a coincidence. They did not get very far with the investigation on Agnes Ng, but the second murder was in a way sloppy and careless, which greatly helped the police. Once the police arrived at the crime scene, they realized that there was a trail of blood leading from Garzali's body to wherever he was brought from. It turned out that Garzali had been bleeding from his nose the entire time, leaving a blood trail from his apartment to his dump site. Naturally, they followed the blood trail and arrived at Lim's apartment on Block 12. Lim invited them in to search the place, acting all casual and innocent. He tried to explain away the evidence found. Blood on the floor? Oh, that's just chicken blood, you know. Since it's Chinese New Year's, we're getting a meal prepared. Bloodied clothes? Oh yeah, no, that's chicken blood. Spoiler alert, it was not chicken blood. The most damning evidence was a piece of paper they found from a phone book, and on the piece of paper were both Agnes Ng and Garzali Marzuki's names. Coincidence? Mm, I think not. Considering the fact that Garzali was only discovered earlier that same day, it was highly unlikely that Lim would know of his disappearance. The three were arrested the next day. After their arrest, the trio were charged with murder. Okay, so the Singapore legal system seems a bit more complicated than I had expected. So I'll just get to the point with as much accuracy as possible. If I do get anything wrong, please email me and educate me. I have zero knowledge on this matter, but I'm humble and I'm willing to learn. During their trial, Deputy Public Prosecutor Glenn Knight had collected 184 pieces of evidence and rounded up 58 witnesses. Tan and Hope pleaded not guilty to the murder charges, claiming diminished responsibilities. But then there's Lim. He claimed all responsibility and he pled guilty. The case was then moved up from a committal procedure to the high court. Knight continued to use all the evidence he had gathered to prove that the trio were guilty as heck. And although there was no witness and all the evidence could be viewed as circumstantial, they were pretty damning. Glenn Knight began with the opening statement. What matters is that the accused did intentionally suffocate and drown these two innocent children, causing their deaths in circumstances which amount to murder. And this we will prove beyond all reasonable doubt. Long story short, the three had failed to go with insanity defense, and although Ho was diagnosed with schizophrenia at one point, she was set to be fined during the time of the murders. After a 41-day trial on May 23, 1983, the trio were sentenced to death by hanging. The two women were grim-faced and had little reaction. But then there's Lim. He not only embraced his verdict, but also cried out, Thank you, my lord, as he was being let out. If you're interested in the long and lengthy and complicated trial, you're more than welcome to look it up. The officer in charge of this case was a uh, Mr. S.K. Menon. 
He himself stated that in all his years as a police officer, he has never seen anything like this. I felt that he was evil. No, I felt that he was evil. He was evil, and he was practicing black magic. I thought so. That's the impression. And then I knew, I knew by after speaking to him that he was he had the gift of the gap. He could speak very well. So conclusion was he was a god man. Right in front of you enter the altar where Chinese deities, photos, photographs of Chinese deities, Indian deities, especially the deity called Kali. And there was the photographs was glasses were smeared with something red, which later turned out to be human in the kitchen. We asked him, he said, Chinese human just ended. I cut, I cut chicken, man. He says, chicken blood. Never mind, he said, call the chemist. So we called for the chemist. He came running, it took some time, huh? to come from SDA to come here. I told him my facts, just test and see. He tested and confirmed it was human blood. That's the time we made the arrest. That is how we solved the case. What I just played for you was the officer in charge, S.K. Menon, talking about the investigation and what led to the arrest of Lim. I understand that his accent is probably a bit strong, but basically he's just saying that he knew that Lim was an evil person and that he was a grade-A con man and basically a fraud. He also talked about the part where he found blood inside his apartment. Even though Lim insisted it was chicken blood, he called for a chemist right away, and once the chemist arrived, he tested the blood, and it turned out to be human blood. During the interrogation period, the police received a lot of shocking testimony from the trio. According to the women, every time he asked them to do something, Lim would claim that the old master, whoever that was, has entered his body, and that the requests were not from him, but from the master. Ho was also made to drink urine, claiming that this wards off evil spirits. I'm sure you can imagine what else he would have said to them. Although the judges presiding over this case had zero sympathy for Lim and Tan, calling them evil, they did say that Ho was simple and easily influenced. The death sentence was carried out on November 25, 1988. The trio had all converted to Catholicism and had, well, received forgiveness. If you recall my first episode, the murderer, kidnapper, rapist, Chen, also converted to Christianity prior to his death. Once again, I do not know how I feel about that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. The women were said to have asked for pardon from the president of Singapore, but did not receive any. Lim, on the other hand, did not ask for anything. Lim was actually beaming and smiling as he was on his way to the hangman's noose. What a creep. The trio were given a short Catholic funeral mass after their death and were cremated. Lim was 46, Tan was 34, Ho was 33. This was a crime like no other in the history of Singapore. Everyone followed it religiously. 
Crowds of people formed outside the court just waiting to see these three people and booing them as soon as they appeared. The news reporting of the crimes were somewhat detailed. While some embraced it and saw it as a good way to raise awareness, there were others that thought it was unnecessary and harmful to the public. Two movies were made after these murders, one in 1991 called Medium Rare and one in 1997 called God or Dog. Neither were received very well by the public. As some of you may or may not know, Singapore is one of the few first world countries that is also super intense when it comes to their laws. Any crimes ranging from murder, rebelling or rioting, or even carrying drugs can result in a death penalty. Did you know that bringing gum into Singapore or even buying gum without prescription in Singapore is against the law? The gum ban was really strict at one point, but after the chewing gum company Wrigley fought hard on it, they finally worked it out, sort of. Nowadays, you can only chew gum when it's used as dental or nicotine gum. In other words, gum has to be prescribed. If they do catch you doing some illegal gum activity, you will be fined. You might think it's ridiculous, but their banning reasons really do make sense. It really sucks when people are inconsiderate and instead of being a good citizen, they spit their gum out on the sidewalk or stick it on the wall and stuff. If you have never had the misfortune of stepping on gum or touching someone's gum, you're very lucky. So there you have it. The twisted ways of Adrian Lim and his two wives. And the murders of two innocent children, Agnes and Garzali. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you're somehow enjoying this podcast, please help me by reviewing, rating, and subscribing. Please also join me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Username Asian Madness Pod. My email is asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Please write me if you have any comments, suggestions, or just want to say hi to me. I would also like to thank the following people for their reviews this week. From the U.S., Veronica Moreno, 010308, Hooker Steve, Ryan from the Cold Case Murder Mysteries podcast, and Lil Buckaroo. From the U.K., the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. Thank you, Paul. And from Canada... Iman Rezu 15. Thank you guys. I'd also like to thank my first two Patreon members, Lainey from the True Crime Fan Club podcast and Adam from Australia. It's great to know people like you enough to want to spend time and money on you, but please, only sign up for Patreon if you've got spare change. I know money doesn't grow on trees, so please don't feel pressured. I'm your host, Jessica, a.k.a. Demad Asian. Till next time. Mm-hmm.